Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit outreachchurch.net for downloads and service information. Thank you, Lord. Man, I said you're going to get me all emotional before I even get up here and preach. Give me about half crying. I just appreciate Roy being my buddy, helping me turkey hunt. <laughs> we got two. Could have had some more, but we got two, Bob. <laughs> Good to see you, Bob. I appreciate you. I, I couldn't even get your attention. You were so busy worshiping Jesus on them drums. I just wanted to go like that. And he just, it's not happening. <laughs> and I'm like, I thought I probably ought to join him. So <laughs> I couldn't even. Would you want to take this, Roy, and just sit that somewhere so I don't knock it over? How's everybody doing? Good? Oh, good. It's good to be here. Uh, I've enjoyed actually, yeah, we, we, we turkey hunted the last couple of years together, just had a fun doing it, and I've gotten to know Roy and his family and hang out and sleep in Jackson's room. Thanks, bud. <laughs> He's just so cool about it. He's like, not a problem. <laughs> so uh, it's just fun getting to know folks. Amen? And the guys coming over and hanging out. It's good. Appreciated your hearts too. So we're going to just talk a little bit tonight, man. I got some things on my heart. Is that okay? That's why we're here. We're just, bam, we're just going to share. And uh, yeah, it's really neat how it works. I, I, I get a lot of invites to travel around, so I'm actually leaving here. I'm going to go down into Georgia. I'm going to be in a Bible college down there and preaching and go to a bunch of students. So I'm looking forward to that. So uh, we were singing. We were singing the Child of God song right out of the gate, and that got me excited. And uh, it's really important that you preach the gospel clear. Because if you don't preach the gospel clear, you won't know what to understand and believe and give your heart to. And a lot of times we think that, you know, Jesus, we grow up here and Jesus shed his blood and, and, and did what he did because we've been so terrible. And I understand he had to die to remove our sin and forgive our sins, but... The emphasis of his death wasn't our sin. It was to restore the truth about our lives. And that's the part we miss. And sometimes you can live your whole life in church and nobody will even teach you that because we make it all about our depravity and our, our ability to fail and our ability to sin. And all of a sudden, you're just a mess up waiting to happen. And for some mysterious reason, God thinks a lot of you. And you can't relate to that because a lot of people don't think a lot of themselves. So you can't receive God's love. You don't even see His first love. So how can you love Him in response? And then you feel indebted to Him because of the message. And next you get reduced to serving Him instead of knowing Him and loving Him and living with Him. You follow what I'm saying here? So there's a couple things in my heart I really want to pour out. And uh, they, they've been on my heart here all through worship. And, and I'm sure it'll grow and get bigger. But uh, one of the main reasons we don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together is so that we can stir one another in love and good works. It's not just coming to get a blessing. It's not just coming to see what God might do in a service. It's, it's, it's coming to continue an understanding and get an eye so fixed on truth that you walk in the freedom of that truth and your life really sows into the hearts of people and makes a difference where the revelation of God's concerned. It's really that way. I was just talking to the sister in the back and we were talking about some things and I said, you know, it's amazing. The gospel's not a survival kit. 
It's, it's not something to make it to the end through. It's not something we incorporate into our lives so we're hoping to get a better day or, or, or have blessings or make sure our needs are met. And, and when you hear the gospel preached my whole life, that's how I personally heard the gospel preached. So I'm real clear to make a distinguished difference when I preach the gospel. I don't know about you guys. I can't speak for you. But my whole life, I've heard a gospel that benefited me and blessed me and helped me make it to the end, that promised me a good life and all that stuff. And there's a lot of discouraged people that go to church because that's how they hear the gospel, but that's not their reality or their experience or their life. So they go to church wondering when it's going to work for them, when they're going to get a better hand, what they might be doing wrong to get something to go better. And and it's because we preach the gospel in a way that I honestly, I'm going to be strong and say I don't believe it was ever intended. The gospel's all about transformation. It's all about you becoming a different person than you've ever been before. And you've got to understand that the person you grew up with isn't the person you were created to be. And the way that you learned wasn't the way of the Lord. It was the wisdom of the world. It's the way that seemeth right. It always leads to death. It doesn't produce life. It focuses you in. It turns you inward. It gets you self-focused, self-centered, feeling sorry for yourself. Poor me. What about me? I'm mad. I'm frustrated. Well, I'm hurt. Well, why the day? Well, how come? Jesus didn't teach us any of that. We became that through Adam. We learned that through the fall. We were born into that lie. So then God sends the truth. We're all born into Adam. He says, you must be born again. Somehow, in that self-centered twist, we turned it into benefit, blessing, and eternal life. Yes, we did. (laughs) Instead of life transformed. And what we do is we bring Him into our life and many things about our life don't get challenged and stay the same. Not because we're evil, not because we're hypocrites, because we haven't understood. Now the biggest thing is that once you do understand and get a conviction that you live and and, and protect your conscience and do right with what you are convicted in, because you'll just sear your conscience, you'll get in denial. We were talking about this yesterday about things, how you can get... Hey, but that you can get like a truth in your heart and know better and not live toward it and not allow it to become uh, alive in you and, and suppress it or come up with an explanation, a reason, a justification. But deep down in your heart, you know, that's a very unhealthy place to live. You do great injustice to your own conscience. You don't even realize what you do. You veil your face and actually keep yourself from really growing as close to God as maybe your deep heart desires or God desires. Because you don't even feel good. You don't feel like you're in the right place, but... You follow what I'm saying? It's very important to be your own best friend in your conscience, your heart. I mean, really, your own accountability partner. Like everybody says, well, you need an accountability partner. How about yourself? Because if you need me to get you and keep you straight and call you every day and make sure you probably ought to get born again. (laughs) Probably? (laughs) Like get born again? (laughs) See, we, we were born into Adam and he wants to take us out of Adam and into him. He wants to restore us back to what he intended. So the, the depravity of man isn't necessarily the strong motive of the gospel like we've been taught. 
It's the purpose of man and the truth about God in man and the destiny that man's been given by God. That's what he's paying to restore. He wants to get the lie off of you. Of course he had to die because we all sin, but he didn't die because we're sinners. He died because you're so much more in him. It's very important. Now here's the thing I hear, and it's been on my heart a lot, and there's two things, little things I'm probably going to talk about a little bit tonight, and we'll just see where it ends, and I just trust it'll be good and encouraging to you. Because we're here to stir one another up in love and good works. We're here to stay focused on why we're alive. You know the Bible talks in several places that we're just sojourners, we're just passing through, that you just have a short stay here? That you're not to be ensnared and entangled and driven by the things of life anymore. That you've been enlisted in the army of God. That you endure hardship as a good soldier. Fight the good fight of faith. You know they're all scriptures, right? Yeah. And, and he's talking about a mindset and a place you're called to live from. That sure beats getting discouraged, growing weary, feeling sorry for yourself, getting mad, getting frustrated, insecure projecting, trying to find attention, draw attention, reputation. Come on. None of those things on that last list I shared were what you were ever intended or created to be. At all. In fact, we were talking yesterday, Jesus came and made Himself of no reputation. We've all sought one. It's amazing how we've grown doing the total opposite of what He revealed. Why? Because we weren't born into Him. We were born into Adam. So that's why we got to get born again. So when you get born again, our lives start to mold and shape and grow and look like Him. But they won't if we don't continually surrender and make sure that we check our heart and say, hey, man, that's not even mine to carry. Wow, why am I hearing it that way? Hold your heart accountable. Hold your conscience to truth. Man, Jesus would never respond that way. Man, if Jesus thought like I'm thinking now, He'd have never went to the cross. And all of a sudden you start looking to Jesus to find out how to live. You start looking to Jesus to see how He functioned and handled things. Do you realize He always did good, right? You guys know that, right? Like He wasn't borderline. Like totally pure. Completely perfect. Do you guys agree? Yes. Those of you that believe Jesus... And in Jesus, in this room, do you believe that what he did was from the cleanest place possible and there was no catch to nothing, that he was as pure as pure can be? Do you all believe that? And yet men said a lot of bad things, had to have opinions about him, behind the scenes talk, and demon possessed. He'd heal a whole city. It sounds like they'd bring all the sick, he'd heal them, and then they'd try to decide what spirit was working through him from the devil. But here's the point. It didn't stop his good. And it didn't change him. It's so important that you begin to know who you really are, not in an arrogant way, in a very holy and humble way. That you begin to realize, man, I was created and I was put on this earth for his image and to bear witness of his heart, his ways, his motives. Man, the way, the truth, and the life has come inside of me. I didn't pray a prayer to go to heaven someday. He has transformed my life. The old man that was is dead. There's a new man that's arose, arisen. You get it? That's Christianity. If we don't preach it that way, we're going to miss some stuff. 
And we're going to still let the same old things bother us. We're still going to have judgments and pride. And we're going to say, hey, everybody does. And it's normal. But it's funny, when I look to Jesus, I don't find any of it. And I'm following Him. And as He is, so am I in this world. And the things He does, I'll do if I believe. They're all Scriptures too. I'm just saving time. You can reference them if you listen to this thing. If you care to afterward. Maybe you won't. (laughs) I'm just so excited because the place I'm speaking from has been the freest place that I ever lived for the last 20 years. This is the place. That's why I'm so passionate. It's why I'm so excited about it. Because through every faucet of life, this truth is where freedom is. Through every experience, relationship, things unexpected, stuff, guys. Do you think we have joy because everything went the way we were hoping? We have joy because we see different. Because we live from a different place. We wake up for a different reason. Guys, if we never change that, if we don't challenge that, and we just embrace Jesus and sing the right songs and we're sincere and we see our need for a Savior, but we don't embrace these truths, we won't walk free and leave a deposit in men's hearts like we're anointed to. The kingdom of God is for man scatter seed. Your life should just be a seed seed scattering moment. <laughs> I'm serious. And it's not because you raised the dead and just saw the lame walk. It's because you walk in love and you're consistent and you don't wake up for yourself. You wake up for His kingdom and others. Yeah, yeah? and that changes things about you. It might not change things about them right away, but it changes things about you. And the truth will never change and the Word will never pass away. So why do we let what people aren't have any influence in who we are? Why don't we let Jesus settle that and live that, period? Come on, I'm calling you to that truth. Don't you find a reason to grow weary in well-doing. Don't let sin against you produce sin in you. Get a new eye. Get an eye that's in Jesus and let that eye be in you. You hear me tonight? Well, I know you are. I'm talking kind of loud, but I mean, are you hearing me tonight? Come on, there's so many things that we can let sneak up on us all of a sudden life speaking louder than truth. And all of a sudden you say, well, I wouldn't be this way if it wasn't for, well, you know, you don't know what I've been going through. Those lines are just, constant from us. I'm not saying you. I'm talking the body of Christ. They're constant if we're not careful. And somewhere along the way, somebody's got to stand up. We've got to stand up. We've got to challenge them and look at them because those phrases don't produce life. They actually give you a reason for being less than Christ and they guarantee you to stay the same. They assure you tomorrow is yesterday. And that doesn't sound like Jesus. And that doesn't sound like life and life more abundantly. When there's a place for us to die to all that and say, you know what? Here's how you do that without biting your lip and trying to change. You just let your perspective be shifted and changed by God's Word and you start saying, wait a minute, you get alone when nobody's around. You ladies, you're just doing your hair in the morning, whatever you do in that bathroom with that door closed, whatever you do. You've got time in there. 
You have proven that. <laughs> and you look so good. But watch this. While you're in there doing all that, why would you miss the greatest opportunity of your lives? And instead of just looking in the mirror and it's just not going the way you want and going, oh, this stupid hair. Why do I have to have such straight thin hair? Come on. I'm not picking on the ladies. It just seems like a fun example right now. So bear with me. So instead of just critiquing, looking and missing the moment, how about seeing and staying in touch with why you're alive, why you're on the planet, why you woke up, Maybe the honor of being a mother, a wife, a woman of God, a sister in the Lord, an example in someone's life. And all of a sudden, you'll realize that as you're in the bathroom just talking like that, Lord, what an honor to be alive and you alive in me. I so appreciate the value of my life. I so appreciate that you saved me out of the way I used to think and live and you put something brand new in me. See, as you grow in this truth, that's just the way you start thinking. And then you're in the bathroom and you might just put the little curling iron thing down and just find yourself with the door closed like this. Lord, I give myself to you. Thank you for what you're doing inside of me. What an honor to be yours and to be your daughter. I thank you for your love. Do you know how many people that I've met that confess to me when I get down to the nitty-gritty and talk to them about what their communion with the Lord looks like, never when they were all alone, just initiated out of their own heart. Father, I so thank you for your love for me. It's not until you give yourself to that place in faith that that becomes your own revelation. That becomes your own reality. And all of a sudden, Jesus isn't just your doctrine. He's the love of your life. Are you following me? Come on, it's been so easy to think, to muse, to hurt, to ponder, to talk with another person that's hurt. That's not happy. Because they totally understand how you feel. And now that's your support system and that's your chain link. Yeah. <laughs> it's not cool. Probably ought to just get alone and just do this kind of system. So when you're doing this, I know it sounds corny, but think with me. When you're doing this in the bathroom, you're either... You're either in delusion and you need to get a life. Like find a hobby or something. Or he's real. And you're meeting with him and he's doing something inside of you. Now people that live by faith understand what I'm saying. Because you don't always feel everything that you're hoping to feel. But you do believe. And it's the strongest position of your life believer. Well, how do you know God loves you? I believe because He sent His Son. I promise you that's enough. So when all hell breaks loose and circumstances go crazy and the people closest to you make off-the-wall decisions out of the blue, you better already be established in love and not try to find it in that moment. And you better not challenge love in that moment by all the things that are going crazy and not realize in that moment you're making it all about you. Well, if you love me, why'd the car break down? If you love me, why'd I get laid off? If you love me, why's my spouse going crazy all in the same week? <laughs> and the way that seemeth right is eating our lunch again. If you don't settle on God's love for you, you'll never be rooted and grounded in it Faith worketh through love. If you don't get rooted and grounded, your faith won't work it through love. You'll just cry out in despair. 
and you'll be confused and you'll get in turmoil and that's not happy. Okay? There's something I want to show you here. You guys good tonight? Do you understand? I've heard people say this. They say, well, Dan, God gave us emotions. What am I supposed to do? Not have emotions? And they get frustrated in their question. (laughs) I'm serious. And here's what I tell them. I smile. I say, no, no, no. God didn't give you your emotions. The ones you grew up with, God has nothing to do with those. Adam gave you those. You're supposed to give them back. No, bear, bear with me. Them emotions you grew up with have nothing to do with the truth of Christ in you. Those emotions are only functioning from the platform and the central location of thinking for yourself, whether you want to admit it or not. You think about it deep in your heart. Nobody taught you how to fear. Nobody taught you how to be angry. Nobody taught you how to be jealous. It just came with the package. Why? Because every man thinks for Himself, period. Yeah? The emotions you grew up with have nothing to do with what you were created to be. There's colleges, seminaries, Bible colleges that I'm aware of. They're probably most of them teach this. Don't let anybody infringe on your right, your God-given right to rationalize and reason. It's a dangerous teaching because God never gave you the ability to talk yourself out of Him. Like, your ability to reason the way you know it isn't God-given. It's manipulated, twisted, and perverted. Because you have the ability to think for yourself, think in the flesh, think in fear, think through anger, and you can put a lot of screens over your eyes and process. And Jesus said, you better be careful how you hear. And if you got screens, you're hearing what people aren't even saying. And you're listening and thinking, I bet they're talking about me. And they don't even know you're in the room. It's self-conscious, self-focused, self-centered, deceived. It breeds insecurity and all kinds of stuff that doesn't look anything like Jesus. But here's the paradox. Sincerely, you see your need for a Savior. You've confessed that you were a sinner, and you're born again. But born again is not a position to go to heaven someday. It's your life being transformed through heaven coming back into you. So come on, this is important stuff to talk about. This is just a church gathering tonight in my heart. I'm thinking this is, we're in the family room, we're in the living room, we're just having a chat. And we're saying, look, what you do with this is between you, your conscience, and Jesus, and it has nothing to do with the person sitting beside you. It has to do with, I'm a sojourner, I'm passing through, I'm going to learn to love, to edify, to sharpen those around me. I'm not going to let anything around me produce something less than Christ in me. I'm always going to overcome evil with good man. I like this. This denies myself, picks up my cross, and follows Jesus. Come on, if you're looking for a right to be discouraged, you won't have to look far in the natural. Nobody's ducks are in a row. We're not Christians for everything to be aligned circumstantially. It would be great, but it shouldn't change you. Come on. I tell people, every time you see me, I'm going to have joy in my heart. I have a view on life that gives me joy. You can't take that away. 
We'll miss a turkey and we can't take that away. We could go, bummer. <laughs> turkey got away. We wanted to eat you. And he's like, see ya. Not today, friend. I mean, the one Judd missed. Uh, oh, I mean, oh, did I say Judd? I'm sorry. The one Judd missed is still flying. I'm probably going to pass it on my way into Georgia. <laughs> He's so fun to hunt with. You know what I like about Judd? His new view on life through Jesus appreciates everything about everything. It's so sincere, it's enough to almost make you cry when you think about it. I have had a lot of fun just hanging out with you and seeing what God's done in your eye and in your heart. Because I live for this stuff. I preach it relentlessly. Paul said it's not tedious to write the same thing to you over and over and over and over and over. Say, preach something new, brother. No, become what was preached. Peter took a whole chapter and he wrote, and at the end said, 2 Peter 1, you can check it out. At the end of the chapter, almost three quarters of the way through, he said, I write these things to you little children, even though you know them and are established in them. But I think it's right to stir you by reminding. You think, well, why are you writing this stuff, Peter, if we already got it and we're walking and we know it? So you never forget, never lose sight, never let life speak louder than truth and wake up one day and say, how did I get here? Come on. He goes, well, I need a fresh word. I don't want that old stale manna. That's just a religious church phrase, guys. The word is alive and life-giving. There's nothing old and stale about the word of God. Every day he loves me. Every day Jesus rose for my justification. You better ne- never get weary with that truth. That's how you wake up with a clear conscience and unveiled faith and have commun- faith and communion with God. Are you guys following me? Yeah. So listen, I'm a big, I'm a big proponent of getting your mind renewed through truth and looking at Jesus' life and taking time and not being in a hurry and thinking about how he dealt with things. Listen, if Jesus is carrying the cross and he's thinking like us, he'd have never made it that far. He's wondering why he's spending all this time with a bunch of guys that are going to desert him. He's tension him arguing about who's going to get the best place in that day and bucking for position. Yeah? That stuff's happening along the way. He has Jesus getting a glimmer, or Peter getting a glimmer of Jesus the Christ for a moment, and he says, man, blessed are you, Peter. Man, you didn't come up with that on your own. God revealed this to you in the... Two, three verses later, get behind me. Peter, you're a stumbling block to me. For you're thinking for men, not God. There's a lesson there. That you can actually have a revelation that He's the Christ and you have a need of a Savior and never get your mind renewed and actually think for men more than God. Jesus says you're either for me or against me. Gather to me or scatter. And people preach that from the position of condemnation to scare people to the altar. 
He's not even talking really about what we strongly try to use it for. Look, you're either for me or against me. Gather to me. You can see your need for a Savior. You can be sincere about your need to be forgiven and actually recognize you've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and with true, sincere tears ask for mercy, the blood of Jesus to wash you and live with an attitude and a mindset that's totally contrary and destructive to God's purpose, plan, and kingdom. Yeah? That's amazing. That stuff sobers me. Woo! I want to be a steward of my own conscience, my own heart. I want to wake up and keep in touch with what makes me tick and why. Because next thing you know, somebody's actions is sneaking in and all of a sudden deciding you for a week, for a month, for a year. And all of a sudden you think by cutting someone off, you're winning. And every day you're cutting them off, you're a very product of the thing you're trying to deny. And you've allowed them to be your sculptor and not him, the great potter. Come on, guys. Could you imagine Jesus carrying the cross with the mindsets we grew up with? And he's, he's carrying the cross. He's analytically pondering, thinking of all the good he did all the people he healed. He's got pain beyond. He's got blood. I mean, it was so... The Passion movie's not the full. We hardly can get that. People won't even watch The Passion. They say it's too brutal. It's too gruesome. (laughs) You really ought to watch it. Make yourself. It'll sober you. I bought one just to watch it. Every once in a while just to remember what he did. Totally innocent, totally pure, pummeled. That passion movie is amazing. I just watched it. It's fresh in me. I just watched it within a week. People say, I can't stand it. It's too gory. It was worse, and it was real. We probably all let that hit us hard. Yeah? Those kind of revelations change me, keep me from being embarrassed of his name, embarrassed of what I believe, and all that crazy stuff we all feel sometimes. You know what I mean? I'm not being condemning when I say, I'm just saying, the deeper revelation you get of what he paid for and where he lived, the more you'll see the expression of that in your life. The Passion movie isn't even what happened to him. They, they couldn't do it like that. It, it, the Bible teaches you couldn't even recognize him. That he was marred more than any of the sons of men. That means he was worse at the end than any man ever was at the hands of men. So you can't tell me he was describable. You can't tell me he was recognizable. And yet he's still alive. He's still preaching Scripture. He's saying, behold your mother. Behold your son to John and his mother. It's phenomenal. And he never did anything wrong. Be real with me, guys. When you did right and somebody called it wrong, we freaked out. When we did wrong and somebody called it wrong, we freaked out. But when we did right and somebody called it wrong, we really freaked out with drama. Like, I meant well. I can't believe you think better. I was trying to do good. I don't know. Well, that's it. I'll never do good again. If that's what you're going to say, then I'm not even doing good. And all of a sudden you prove that all your good was contingent on how people responded to you and you're drawing your identity from men and not the truth. 
<laughs> That's just good preaching. <laughs> I mean, if nobody was going to say it, I figured I'd just get it out there. <laughs> Come on, all these little things expose stuff. It gives us away. We've been trained by a lie, and now we've come into the truth. So is that just a prayer to go to heaven? Is that just a name sealed in a book called life? Is that just waiting for a trumpet to blow and we're in? We're wheat, not a tear? No, we're transformed and we look like Him. Come on. It's very important. Are we all right, Merle? Am I preaching too hot of a gospel or what? Wait. You want me to tone it down a little? No? Oh, he's cold, so I should turn it up. Okay. <laughs> you guys all good? So the Bible says to not be conformed to the world. You guys know the Bible says that, right? It's not some legalistic thing. It's Romans 12 too. Do not be conformed to the world. That means molded and shaped and according to its image. Right? But be what? How? Diligence and discipline? By the renewing, so you can prove, so you can prove good, acceptable, perfect, sounds like oneness, sounds like relationship, sounds like God's heart's w- heart, will, and ways inside of you. Who in this church, honestly, sitting here now, grew up with a Christian background, the will of God was a hot, like a undisclosed, like a hot potato, Nobody could know. Like it was blasphemy, heresy, and insulting to even assume, to even know that you could even think anyone like God. Like the will of God's a hot potato, and don't and anybody says they think they know the will of God, man, they're blaspheming. But then you read Ephesians 5.17, it says, don't be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And then you read Romans 12.2, and it says that we ought to be transformed and think different so we can prove His will. Wow! And then you find Jesus saying, I do the will of God. I only do the will of Him who sent me. And when you see me, you see the Father. I'm in you. Follow me. (laughs) And then I wonder where we got all our preaching from. (laughs) See, I want it to sound foolish so you never believe it again if you were believing it. (laughs) Come on! Be transformed. What transforms your life? It's not you biting your lip in sincerity trying to be a better person. Stop. You'll be sure you're failing. It's you letting the gospel cause you to think different and change the way you think and get your mind renewed. Renewed in the Spirit. I love that. I actually need to really study that out, but I get that. Like the Spirit of man, the innermost place. The Spirit of your mind that... That place where everything comes from, that, that central, that functioning place, the spirit, it's the why behind your life. You get it? Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Man, I wonder if we'd get that and really lock in and we'd really give ourselves to Him. The Bible says that we're to deny ourselves, pick up our cross. It says, You died, your life's hidden in Christ. What's all that mean? Are we just supposed to be more diligent and more aggressive in self-sacrifice? And it's, it's, it's not some rigid, legalistic regiment of spiritual exercise. 
that will ever change your life. It's you seeing different and believing different. It's that simple, it almost frustrates people. It's, that, it's you waking up every day realizing you didn't wake up for you. You wake up for His image and you wake up for others, period. And you affirm that before you even get out of bed. And you teach yourself that truth in the Lord. And grace comes on your life and starts burning that in your heart and making it your reality because it really is your desire. See, you have to want to live by faith and you have to want to lay down your life and you have to want to become love. So yes is the biggest thing on our end. Yes, I want to walk in forgiveness. Yes, I want to be merciful. Yes, I want to follow Jesus. Yes, I want to become like Him. Yes, I want the days of flesh to die without me straining and struggling and striving and setting myself up to fail. I don't want a New Year's resolution. I want transformation. You get along with God with a yes... The grace of God will come and make that your reality without you biting your lip to change. All the glory goes to God and you're transformed without trying, just wanting to be because you're embracing truth and it's driving away lies. And you might be falling into feeling sorry for yourself, but you'll catch it if you're praying this way. You'll catch it. And instead of going, oh, there I go again. I'll never get it right. I must be a perpetual failure. That's what people do. We've been trained to beat ourselves up and put ourselves down. That's why we hear the good news. We say, I can't believe why Jesus would die for me. He didn't die for you apart from Him. He died for who you are in Him. Do you get that? Like People say, well, I can't believe He died for me. I don't know why God would love me, but I guess He does. The Bible says He does. I've heard so many people talk like that since I've been saved. I still hear people talk like that. And it just means they don't understand the gospel. They're weighing their value based on their life and their performance and their past memory. He's weighing his value and what he created you to be, your destiny, your purpose, and your heritage in the Lord. So he paid a high price for, for something. <laughs> and we look at ourselves as nothing because of how we've lived. But he knows what he created you for and he wants to make all things new. So he wants to call you out of darkness and into the light. That sounds like a good deal. So all he's asking you to give back is what you never were in the first place. All he's asking of you is what you were in Adam so you can become what you are in him. It's not a big, people say the Christian life will cost you everything. What? What you never were anyway. Do you know why he said to deny yourself first, right? Because you were never made for you. You were made for his image. The first thing a Christian's supposed to do is deny himself and realize he wasn't made for him. He's been driving the car and he's just supposed to be in it. <laughs> yeah? <laughs> deny yourself. Pick up your cross. That means don't let life or anything about folks, how they handle, treat, act, do, don't let any of that decide who you are. You carry your cross. Why? Because he died on one. He carried his and died. Now he said, you deny yourself because that's what he did on the cross. Come on, that analytical thing I was saying, can you carry the cross? Man, I can't believe they did this to me. All the good, I fed their hungry. And all of a sudden he's just thinking about Barabbas and it's just crossing a line, and now it's the straw that breaks the Savior's back. And he's thinking, Barabbas, what an insult. you got to be kidding me. 
He kills, he murders, he causes conspiracy. I raise their dead and I bring peace and they let him go and kill me? Analytically, that's an insult. In human wisdom, that's a breaking point. And if you talk to a friend that has any level of hurt in them and you tell them that story, they can't believe it. They're appalled and they're hugging you in sympathy. And they're empowering your emotions and allowing you to stay the same. And they become your friend because they understand your feelings. But your feelings aren't produced in life, so they ought to be challenged. Because you don't live by feelings, you live by faith. Yeah? What do you put your faith in? Truth. So that would be like Jesus. Let me paint a picture of Jesus if it would be what we grew up with. He would have never made it to the cross, so it's not the greatest example that way. He would never made it to the cross. The first day he preached, you know what it looked like? He stands up from the wilderness, anointed with power. Angels just ministered to him. He just crushed the devil with the word of God and refused to compromise. Yeah? And he come out of there. We say, well, brother, keep me in prayer. I'm going through wilderness. Must be the Israelites. <laughs> Thinking for themselves, wishing they were back under the bondage of Pharaoh than out in the desolate place. God's feeding them supernaturally, and they're like, I'm tired of this stuff, man. What is it anyway? <laughs> come on. Why is it so hard? See, it's just a shift of perspective. Just get your eyes off yourself is what the gospel's telling us because that's the biggest lie. They're in there. The only reason God chose them is the people of God. The first fruit, the holy lump, is so that the nations of the world would know Him through them. That's old covenant. What do you think it's like now? It's so powerful. The reason he handpicked them wasn't because he made them special. He just chose a people to make his name known and that the nations would fear the Lord through them. And they missed the whole point, made it all about them, and said, what about us? It'd be better for us. And I don't know what we're doing here. And Moses, you're a terrible leader. And God, I don't know about you. So they wander, die, and never reach the promise. Forty years worth. We all know the story. We preached it and preached it, guys. Jesus goes into the same wilderness led by the Spirit after water baptism and fulfills in 40 days what they failed for 40 years. He comes out in the Spirit and power. Why? He didn't go in for himself. He went in for us. What's so hard about coming out of your tent after you have a revelation of God and His love, seeing the man all over the ground? You've been there for years, and it was an 11-day journey, and there's, and there's no milk and honey. You were told milk and honey. You don't see no milk and honey. You see rocks, caverns, no plant life. Right? They'd have burned in the day, so God covered them with a cloud. They'd have froze at night, so He burned a fire over their heads. That's incredible! <laughs> I'm not putting them down. If we were there, we'd have complained too. It's because man thinks for himself and he has God for himself and the devil doesn't even believe you love God. He just thinks you need God and there's a difference. And he's out to prove it. He afflicts and he comes and he tries and he tests and he gets rises out of people. And he says, oh, they don't even know why they go to church. They don't even know why they're saved. They don't even know why they're a Christian. Poke, pod, prod. Woo! I'm telling you. 
you will stand strong like Jesus and say, the ruler of this world cometh and he has nothing in me. Why? Because everything I ever was apart from him, I gave to him so I could become all that he is in me. Come on, that's just a good, strong place to live. Yeah? So what's so hard about it? See, they come out of their tent and say, oh, this same old worthless stuff. And they're complaining. They're getting bit by the thousands. They're dying. You know the story. Why can't we just come out of the tent? Let's just take a little Annie. Let me just pick on Annie here. She comes out of the tent, and she's like, (laughs) She's like, oh, Lord, you are so good to me. Well, she's not married yet and doesn't have babies, but I'll just prophesy. She says, of someday, someday. She says, oh, Lord, you're so good to me. Tears in her eyes, so sincere. We're in the middle of nowhere. Nowhere. But you're here. So we're somewhere and it's good. You've been so good to us. You kept me all night by that fire. You killed me all day by that cloud. And I can wake up every day and know I have plenty. Me and my babies. <laughs> Not baby, babies. <laughs> we'll never go hungry. Because you care for us every day, God. Thank you. I love you so much. Now she's getting her little omer filled, you know, because you got to get an omer every day. Can't take more than one day. And she says, I so thank you I can only take enough for one day because I'll see you tomorrow. (laughs) That sure beats coming out being grumpy and complaining because you ain't in milk and honey land. Because when you complain, what do you prove and give away? It's all about... Come on, face this. Don't let this be too hard. I'm ready to jump down. When you complain, what's it say? It's all about you. And you're not happy. You're not satisfied. Man, if God was a complainer, we'd have butchered him up by now. Jesus dropping the cross. God, I've had enough. Are you kidding me? When is enough enough? Look at me. Look what they've done to me. Couldn't they just put me on the cross? Couldn't they just do 39 stripes? Look at me. I healed their sick. I raised their dead. I cast out their devils. I fed their hungry bellies. And this is what I get from them? Look, if they didn't change by now, what makes you think they're ever going to change? When I came, I thought I loved them. But after all this, I am not sure. In fact, I think I am sure. I ain't doing nothing for these people. Look what they've done to me. Come on, guys. And the only reason that wouldn't affect your heart is because we've been lulled to sleep thinking, well, that's Jesus. But he made you for his image and he's in you and Christ in us, the hope of glory. And the truth is he's not like that because he's Jesus. It's like that because he's love. It's because he's love. That's why he would never do that. That's why you can't comprehend what I just acted out. Because we've taught Jesus that way. He's love. But we've separated ourselves because we're so far from that that we don't think it's real, attainable. We think we're in denial. Nobody can live like that. I hear the term robot. 
You're not an emotional robot. Are you kidding me? You're restored and brand new and the why behind your life is different and the reason for being has changed. That makes everything change without you trying to change. Yeah. And all of a sudden you wake up and you're just in tune with your reason for being. You've just prayed and you've sought when nobody's around and you've yielded yourself to Him and now you're His workmanship created in His image, created in Christ then for good works. And all of a sudden your light's so shining before men. Why? Because you see different than you've ever saw before. And all of a sudden He can't even drop the cross. Why? Because He's love. And the best love could do is look out at those folks and then look up and say, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. What's he saying? I know and you know who they are. We know what they're created for and we know their potential. And if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. What a love. Do you think he did that because we're wretched sinners? Or he did that because we're called to be sons and daughters? That's why that song was so powerful tonight. They kicked off of that song and the room just felt good. and It just was alive in here, wasn't it? I am a child of God. I am not sin waiting to happen. I am His. And I have given myself to Him. And that's what He's asking us to do. Get born again. How do we turn that into a prayer to go to heaven and blessings and protect my family? How did we make this all about us? And then we sing it's all about Him. I'm not saying you individually. Don't get offended at me. I'm not judging you. We prove we made it all about us when we lose heart, lose disposition, step out of faith, get angry, live in jealousy, and just walk, just walk not encouraged for seasons of time. It just doesn't mean you're evil. doesn't mean you're a hypocrite. It means you're getting your eyes off of truth or you're not understanding and you're allowing time that you don't have to be stolen away. So let's get back on. This is what we do on a night like this. We stir up love and good works. I promise you, if God changes our eye, and here's the cool thing about what I'm teaching, it holds every man and woman and child accountable, and it takes everybody else out of the picture. Because we sang it. At the end of the day, He's faithful. We sang it. At the end of the day, morning, noon, night, at the end of the day. Why? Doesn't matter who said what, did what, doesn't matter what you write, blog, do, whatever. At the end of the day, He loves me, I love you through Him, and I'm in peace. I hear His voice. At the end of the day, no matter what you face, doesn't have the power to change who He is in you and when you're all alone. And that time is designed to empower you for your day. So you don't get hard and you say, well, I don't care what people think. I got the Lord. That's a hard heart. You already long cared. (laughs) I'm not talking about that. Just some delusional spiritual analogy of, well, I don't need nobody. I'm fulfilled in Christ. I don't need no people. I don't care what anybody says. No, you've long cared. You're hurt and you're frustrated and you're hiding behind your words. I'm not talking about not caring what people say. I'm I'm talking about not taking it to heart and let it affect the truth of who you are because you've already settled that. I don't know if we realize how much we are finding ourselves through one another. That's why there's fallouts, letdowns, and hurt and failed expectations. When you walk in love, I'm I'm going to say something challenging here and stretch some souls a little bit. When you're walking in love, there is no failed expectations because there's no expectations. You can't get failed in expectation because there is none. Of course you're called to live trustworthy. Roy's called to live trustworthy. I love Roy. Roy's, Roy's a buddy of mine. You're a buddy. I consider you a good buddy. 
I can talk with Roy. We can call and chat whenever we want. He has access to me. I have access to him. I consider Roy a buddy. We've spent some time together. When you hunt with somebody, you get close, you know. <laughs> but if I start putting unspoken expectations on Roy in our friendship, then I set Roy up to disappoint me and me to see Roy apart from what he is and who he is and what he's called to be. So then if Roy would fail that expectation, now I get quiet, now I cut him off, now I shut down a little, now I talk from a place that's not sincere and real, and next thing you know, we don't even have what we had, and it's different, and we both know it, but nobody's coming clean. Next thing you know, time goes by, and after a while, we don't even talk. Who's ever seen that scenario in the church? You say, well, he, well, he shouldn't have. Well, then why? Well, if he's a man of God, then why? Well, why aren't you weeping over that? Why don't you care for him? And why aren't you interceding? If you really believe it's that bad, why aren't you trying to help him? Why are you just cutting him off and talking bad to three other people? I'm not saying this about Roy that this is going on now. Well, I'm using him and me as an example. And what I'm saying is if I start letting that happen, my heart should be challenged in how I'm handling our friendship and ask why I feel so set back, why I feel so broken, why I feel so hurt. It's not even about what he did if he did something. It's about why am I responding that way and why does it have so much power now that Christ has come? Because Jesus isn't seeing him that way. here's what we're afraid of, that this kind of teaching empowers the wrong and nobody ever addresses wrong. Are you kidding me? It's the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. And about the time Roy looks and realizes, man, I could have did that a little different. Or man, you know what? I see how they saw that. Wow, I want to be more sensitive. God, give me wisdom. But then he also looks and sees that, wow, nobody let that change them. That brings greater humility in him, greater desire, and actually everybody gets closer. Yeah? Or we're just all striving for perfection, but we all know that it's not going to happen, we say, so what are we doing? Enduring one another? Not too well when there's fallouts, you're not enduring. People say, I'm praying for patience. It's called love. Love is patient. (laughs) So when you're praying for patience, you're saying, I don't love. Hello? Boy, I'm on you tonight, ain't it? And you're still smiling about it. It's good. I I love it. (laughs) I'm still smiling too. Because we can talk about this stuff because it holds your own heart accountable and gets your eyes off your neighbor. I tell people, if you already elbowed your spouse tonight, you know I'm talking to you. Because people hear sermons for each other. Because they have hidden issues, unresolved conflicts, beliefs that aren't healthy. And they're sitting there thinking, I hope she's listening. And she's sitting there saying, God, you're inspiring this man to preach, and my husband's distracted. Why is he getting out gum? Get, put that shotgun out of my cassette. Put that gum away. I bind you, you destructive spirit, off of my husband. That stuff happens in church services. And they're all spiritual. No, they're hurt and offended. <laughs> I love preaching this way. You know why? It holds everybody accountable to truth. It, 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 it brings your conscience to attention. It actually locates where you're at and where you really want to be. Because there's no way you can hear what I'm saying. 
And honestly, if I give you a chance, I'll give you a chance. In a healthy way, without being sarcastic or attacking or mean, who has rebuttal to what I'm saying? Who has a healthy rebuttal and wants to challenge what I'm saying so we can talk about it openly in the congregation? Anybody have a rebuttal and say, well, it's not real what you're saying because I would love if you'd express your heart like that. Not because I'll chop it to pieces, because I will, but not to chop it to pieces. There is so much scripture in me ready to just go poof on the whole thing. Scripture, not feelings. Because the rebuttal is always feeling driven. And the people that are in rebuttal with the feeling driven don't have a strong foundation in the word. That's why the feelings are that way. So you're justifying your position apart from truth, and truth's what makes you free. That's why you don't feel free. And then because you don't feel free, you believe not free because you're living by feelings. <laughs> Is anybody having trouble with the, with the gospel of love? Is anybody having trouble with show mercy and make peace and tender mercy and loving kindness if anybody has a complaint against another? Don't file it. Even as Christ forgave you, you forgive them. And above all these things, put on love because it's the bond of perfection. Does anybody have trouble with all that? Because that's straight up Colossians 3 and a whole lot of other places. I think the trap is that we've kind of been seduced into thinking the gospel's all about our well-being and God taking care of us surfacely. And we're very self-focused in our pursuit of Him. A lot of people pray a lot of prayers. They call it faith. They have them all over their fridge, all these promises, and they're quoting them while they're making breakfast, hoping their day goes that way. And instead of praying mercy over your boss, you're praying that God changes him because it'll make your day easier. Oh, I'm serious. There's Christians praying for new jobs because they can't stand the people at their other job. And it proves that we don't understand the gospel when we live that way. You don't pray for a new job because you can't stand the people at your job and then you're mad at God for letting them dump on you because you thought he loved you. Why would you let them dump on me? Now the cat's out of the bag. Somehow you thought this was all about you. Wow. You don't know how they make me feel. Family. My family. Listen, you lay down your life for people. I just told this sister, I said, I don't even exploit the details of my family, but I, I, tell, I tell people, my wife went through a, a, a season of her life that lasted six to eight years, guys, where it seemed like I was single and had no relationship and couldn't even communicate and didn't know how to change what you see in me. That had no power over what I've become, because I don't wake up for her to love me. I wake up to be like Jesus. So I don't have issues. I have answers. Yeah, it feels so powerful in me, Bob. It's ridiculous. Because I live this thing more than you have any idea. You say, well, you don't understand what I'm going through. You might not even been through a smidgen of what I'm talking about. Maybe. So you always say, well, you don't know my story. You don't know their story. So what are we supposed to do? Hash hell stories? 
to see who's been through the worst so we have sympathy and then sing it's all about heaven? Or should we supposed to separate ourselves out of the hell stories and go after him? Amen. And stop letting all these things matter more when they don't matter most. Come on, I know I'm a little aggressive right now, but I feel a little aggressive. At the time my wife was living that way, my kids springboard off of it as an excuse for weakness, labeled me as extreme, said, Dad, there's nobody we can find like you. I said, that's because you're following men. Look to Jesus. We look a lot alike. (laughs) Yeah, bold to say that, huh? Not arrogant, though. Confident, because I live with me. Yeah. And at the same time she's doing that, Merle, my kids are making the worst decisions of their lives all at the same time in a household of four. That leaves one left that even looks like he remotely cares, and he's being called the problem. How do you handle that? How have you done in those situations? That's the stuff I want you to challenge yourself in. It's time to start looking like Him. I grew so much in that season, it was ridiculous. Never even thought I needed prayer. Never called anybody for encouragement. Why? Because I don't wake up thinking for myself, feeling sorry for myself, or needing anyone. He has fulfilled me to know the love of Christ, to be filled with all the fullness of God. He's made me to love them, not need them, and not cry because they're not what I need them to be. And I'm not saying, well, my life is short, and I only got one life, and maybe we made a mistake, and God was never there when we got married in the first place. Maybe there's somebody out there for me since she doesn't want to give up the program. <laughs> oh, I'm on a little bit right now. And if you've done that, made that decision, just cry out in your bedroom tonight and say, forgive me, and don't ever go there again, and let where you're at now go forward. I'm telling you, feeling sorry for yourself is the biggest lie on the planet. If Jesus felt that way for one moment. Remember when I said his first day he preached? He'd come out of that wilderness. See, I got on that and then I preached for 40 minutes on the wilderness and all this other stuff. (laughs) The last 40 minutes came from me trying to explain what happened the first day Jesus preached. Luke 4. See, I'm right back there. (laughs) He opens up the scroll for the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me. And you know what it says, and he's quoting and he's setting people free and prison doors, captives, right? And he's preaching and the people are going, well, man, this guy got authority. They're looking like, where did this guy come from? This is Jesus, Mary's boy. Hey, whoa. Nobody talking like this before. Wait to what he's saying. And then one guy goes, wait a minute. Is he talking about us? I think he, he is talking about us. Ah, kill him! <laughs> he's preaching for a moment. They're going, whoa! And they go, wait a minute, he's talking about us! <laughs> and they tried to push him off a cliff and kill him. First day preaching. First day in his earthly ministry. Do you think about that stuff? I sit on my bed and I think about that stuff. That would be a discouraged pastor. <laughs> 
You pour your life into men. You pour everything you are into men. And they tell you they love you and they'll die for you. And when they're given the chance, they all run away. That's hurting ministers. It's amazing how many hurting ministers there are. And the biggest lie is that it has to be that way. It's the biggest lie in ministry. Don't you tell me that if you can't find it in Jesus' life. Don't you sell so cheap when you were bought at such a high price. Don't you let earthly wisdom be your guide. You let the life of Jesus speak truth to your heart and you don't give men the right to disappoint you because you haven't set your hope on men. That doesn't give you a hard heart. It gives you a clear and humble heart so you can see through all things. And why would you cry anymore because of them? You're now empowered empowered to cry for them because you've become love in the process. I spit on that one. Did you see it? It's good I'm back here. It was anointed though. You could have caught it. You guys all right? Or is this like too intense? It's not too intense. You know why it's not too intense? It brings life. Now picture you living this way and how powerful that is. See, what's love do? Love lays down its life for... So flip love. What's the opposite of love? Thinking for yourself and living at the expense of others. Laying down your life for living at the expense. Would you agree that's a 180? Okay. Forgiveness, unforgiveness. 180. Mercy, payback. 180. All the things we grew up with are 180 degrees from what Jesus modeled, showed, and taught us we are. People say, well, I'm not so bad in my I don't live at the expense of people. You project one attitude. I'm talking to young and old alike in this. If you're in a family, here's a family of, of four. You got, you got Roy, his precious wife, and his two children. You, you've got, you've got Patty, you've got Jackson, you've got Aaliyah, a house of four. You have family. A family, lay down your life and love. Think what that could look like in a house of four. Isn't that awesome? And watch this. Spouses, silent treatments, a little frustrated, playing the mind game, control, manipulation without admitting it. And all of a sudden they just shut down for an afternoon to send a message and make a point. And now you force your spouse or your children to respond. You put them in an uncomfortable position and now you're controlling and manipulating and it's because you need to be right or you're sure they're wrong. And next thing you know, you're living at the expense of your whole house and it's laying down your life for nothing. And you're actually revealing that you have the ability to sing holy is the lamb and not understand how to become like the lamb. Just a child, just slamming the bedroom door. Whatever, you slam the door. And you go in your room for the rest of the day and you don't want to talk and your family's out there. Hey, come on, can we talk? Just get away. I just want to be alone. Don't even allow yourself to even entertain something like that for a moment. You're teaching yourself apart from him. Attitudes and mindsets that are detrimental to households that bring animosity and cause separation. Come on, guys. Why is it so hard to lay down what you're not created to be and walk in love and pursue peace and be like Jesus? We say, yeah, but brother, everybody has their moments. Stop believing that. That's why you have yours. I'm serious. That's your landing strip. That's your justification. Well, nobody's perfect. Stop talking like that. It's weakness. Maybe you haven't even trusted the grace of God to allow you to become what you're called to be. 
He said, what are you saying? We're perfect. We can't be perfect. We all have our moments, Dan. Please stop talking that way. That's why you have yours. I'm not being mean. I'm not talking to you personally. I'll look up here. I'm just talking to whoever. (laughs) If the shoe fits, be Cinderella for a second and kick that slipper off. (laughs) Turn back into what Jesus called you to be. Are you following what I'm saying? Yeah. I don't want to learn how to come to church and sing holy is the lamb and everything is yours and I surrender all. And then have no conscious conviction about my attitude towards my spouse just because I know she was wrong. God knew you were wrong, but He judged you in righteousness, not rightness. He empowered you to stand before Him as if you weren't wrong so that he could deal with you from that position and make you his son. Yeah? If it ever becomes about you're right and I'm wrong, we have missed God by a million miles. Come on, if he's right, we're wrong. He's righteous. While you and I were yet sinners, he sent the son. We didn't do anything right. We were evil and wicked and separated in our minds. And yet, through the body of death, he reconciled us. Bam! We didn't change the way we were thinking. He came and paid the price to reconcile us. The just for the ungodly. While we were yet sinners. It's the goodness of God that leads men to change. When when you come to God, he doesn't say... Boy, you really put my heart through the ringer. I'll tell you what, I don't even know where we stand anymore. I mean, I'm trying to appreciate your tears and all this sobbing, but why didn't you come six months ago when I really drew your heart? In fact, six years ago would have been better, and you caused a lot of hell and pain in between, you know. And all of a sudden, God's just reprimanding you. Who's He ever done that to in this room? You come to Him and He just, He'll receive you. As if you never did wrong. And boy, that takes away doing wrong. Do you think I wake up and think about doing wrong? Let's stop thinking that's our dilemma. Let's stop thinking that's our place in life to fail and plead the blood. Maybe it's to live by the Spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh and walk in peace and show mercy. Yeah? (laughs) Maybe my lot in life is to follow Jesus. So I get a little aggressive on this thing because I've, I've, I've lived it. You have no idea. You have no idea a ministry situation I was in for years. You have no idea the things. I, I mean, I could. everybody has a story. And for some reason, we think ours is the justification for our lives. No, it's the lie. It was trying to manipulate and decide you. Throw it off and put on his story. And let him call you out of darkness and into the light. Christianity is not being part of a church. Christianity is Christ-likeness. And in Christ-likeness, it's important to be part of a church because we're, we're, we're living together and growing together and encouraging together and sharpening together. And we're having meetings like this together. Stay focused because we're not the only one in this town believing this thing. And this is how you affect a town and have influence without being over-aggressive, projecting, and trying to be evangelistic. Love is evangelistic. 
You just live in Jesus on your job, reaches people. It's not a bullhorn and signs and trying to get everybody to the river. It's you living in the river. I'm just saying. It's the goodness of God that changes men. It's, it's people. I got saved and I went to a pastor and a co-worker that mistreated me terribly called me after I was out there and pastoring. And he called me at the office. I said, what's up, man? I didn't think I'd hear from you. He said, I had to call you. He said, I just want to let you know. And this was just his story. It wasn't boasting in me and it wasn't, it's, it's a sad one, but it's just his story. He said, I've never met a Christian in my life that I could respect. They were never what they claimed to be and I saw them to be just like anybody else. And he said, you were different and you never compromised and you da, da, da. And he started speaking about my testimony in his eyes. And he said, I can't tell you how much I respect you. I'm sorry I mistreated you. I just judged you for what I heard a Christian to be in my own life. And he called me to set that straight. That's pretty incredible. Your life's to speak. It's not because I told him he needed Jesus. That's not impressing him if he doesn't see Jesus in me. (laughs) So why do I need Jesus? To be full of anxiety like I see in you? (laughs) To come in ticked off because your wife didn't treat you right today? You know, you come in here moody, you're moody half the time. Why do I need Jesus so I can be moody? That's what the world does when you're not living Christ and you're trying to evangelize. Love is evangelistic. Jesus is evangelistic. Without you even trying. You guys okay? Okay, it's late. i got to wrap up. I'm sorry. I mean, I'm not. You know what I mean, really, kind of. like I don't know what I mean. Let me just do this one little thing quick, can I? This has been on my heart. This is the other thing on my heart. So I want you guys to just think about what we talked about so far. The way that seemeth right to a man is what we were taught by. This is not rocket science. Everybody can get this young and old like in the room. The emotions you were born with, the, the ways we talk, what we taught one another, the way life, that social media thing, out of control. It's just a voice box of human opinion. It's just everybody venting their opinions. It's offensive, tragic, and terrible to human value. Oh, it's just terrible. And the reason it's so huge and big, because people are living there, even Christians. And they're getting all caught up in the stuff and the turmoil and the comebacks and the same and they're spending countless hours just chatting back and forth, accomplishing nothing, trying to be right and get the upper edge or whatever. You better really question what we're accomplishing being bound up in that stuff. Not even looking in a human being's eyes, not even passing by, but just people say, Well, I evangelize on there, you might be amazed. That you're not very effective on there. <laughs> they're, they're, they, they might be a group of atheists having fun on the computer writing, wow, thanks for Jesus, man. And you're, I'm crying right now. I'm so excited how the Spirit is here. You don't even know who you're talking to. <laughs> and they're just playing you and abusing you. are all sitting there drinking beer, smoking a joint, laughing because you think you're reaching them. And they're portraying to be a broken person praying the sinner's prayer. You were never called to use that as your tool. 
You're called to go ye therefore, not sit. <laughs> Man, that's a good word, isn't it, Carl? <laughs> go ye therefore. And as you go. See? He's figuring we go. <laughs> he didn't mean log on. <laughs> I barely know those terms, but <laughs> I hear them enough I can kind of follow. <laughs> it's so funny. People think I'm a caveman. Because I don't own a computer. I tell people I don't know what I'd do with one. I'm just different. I don't know what I'd do. And I'm not against you on a computer. I'm not against you. That little buddy Jackson playing that computer game, I'm geared different. I would last 30 seconds playing a game on a computer. Like, it's just not me. My boy used to say, Dad, play this. And I'd try just to entertain him. But it was like, man, I was glad we were done. <laughs> I'm just telling you, go to 2 Timothy quick. I've got to wrap this up. I want you to think about something here with me. This is important. When I use the word faith, when I say faith, correct me if I'm wrong, but most people think of a tool we use to get a prayer answered. When people think of faith, they think of something we're supposed to live by to get results. Would you agree with that? Is anybody... Am I, am I saying it clear? When, when we say the just shall live by faith, for some reason we think that has to do with healing, more money, better job, relationships, that it's a tool we use. Most of the time when faith is taught, it's taught as a tool that we're pulling out of the belt and applying to get results in our life. Is that fair? Almost predominantly in the New Testament when the words faith is used, because it is true, you, you do, there is the prayer of faith that saves the sick. There is faith in prayer. There is praying by faith and, and have faith in God. I get all that. But the primary use of faith is used, and I'm going to show you really clear in the Bible, it's used as a perspective you're called to live by. It's, it's, it's an eye you live from. When you live by faith, you don't let anything change the foundation you're on and where you live from. So circumstances have no power, threat, temptation, or voice to change why you're on the planet and who you've become. Be honest, many of us have moved with the tide of life and we're only doing as good as things are going. We're only as courageous as things are working out. We ask most people how they're doing. They share the two biggest crises and say, keep me in prayer. Be honest. And we're identifying with our life instead of His life in us. And we get tricked into, it's not evil, it's not hypocrite. We don't do this intentionally. We get tricked into just bringing Him into our life in hopes of a better one. And then when it's not working out, we're wondering what we're doing wrong and how we can do change to get better blessings. And we reduce faith to just a tool to get prayers answered instead of an eye and a motive to live by. The just shall live by. What's that mean? 
believing the gospel, believing what he accomplished through Christ, believing you're accepted in the beloved, believing you're righteous in his sight, believing you're forgiven and washed white as snow. The just living by faith is you receive what you've become now that he came. You get it? So watch Paul. Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, I fought the good fight. Paul's in a fight. Do you hear how purpose-driven that is? I fought the good fight. He says in 1 Timothy 6, fight the good fight of faith. So in 2 Timothy 4, 7, he says, I have fought the good fight. He's not fighting the devil. He's not fighting people. He's not fighting the whole list of perils in 2 Corinthians 11. He's fighting the good fight of what? What he's saying is, I haven't lost sight of who I am and why in the face of it all. Man, what a triumphant declaration. Ministries doing things wrong. People having wrong motives, money issues. 34, possibly 32, 30, 32, 34 years into church history, the only person Paul could find to send to them who had like mind and didn't seek their own was Timothy. 34 years into church history, he could only find one man that had a right motive. Makes me want to lose it. The church is a fledgling, tiny little bird in a nest. 30-some years into church history, and Paul says, I can only send you Timothy. He's the only one of like mind who only has Jesus as his interest and doesn't seek his own. He doesn't want to preach for fame. He doesn't want to preach for an honorarium. He doesn't want to preach for notoriety. He doesn't want to preach for reputation. He just cares about Jesus, his kingdom, and his people. And I'm sending him to you because he's awesome in God. He's the only one that he could find in Philippians. I taught that in a pastor's prayer breakfast and cried and said, please, guys, don't. And the 85% of the room got offended and assumed that I was assuming that on them because I was green and young in the Lord. The next thing I said got me thrown out of the prayer meeting. Am I hurt by it? No. Do I hurt because of it? I cry about that stuff when nobody's looking and ask Jesus to have mercy. When it happened, I got hurt, I got mad, and I justified it, and I went in the bedroom, well, I went in the nursery at church and laid and cried and built a big case against all these pastors, and I stood up in my intercession, posture and voice, Father, I bring these pastors before your throne. And I'm ready to really dig deep and pray, baby. <laughs> and the Lord went, shh. And I went, so I was crying about them. Now I'm crying about this. I was just having one of them cry days. <sighs> he said, that has nothing to do with you. You grow up in me and follow me and become what I do, what I've called you to do. And I'm bawling. And he said, Dan, you were only going to pray for those pastors because you located what's wrong. And if you pray from that place, it won't be long till something's wrong with you. And I fell to the ground and cried and said, if you don't father me, I will make a mistake. Please, God, father me. 
please, God, fashion my heart. And I forgot all about them pastors. Yeah, because you're so busy being right that you're sure you're right, and that's what makes it wrong. Because then you look at them different, you disdain them, and you're praying down on them. And it's problem-driven, and there's no life in it. You getting that? It's a hard-learned lesson, man. I cried a lot that day. I was praying to go to the mission field when I was very young in the Lord. If you'd have heard me pray, you'd have thought, man, this guy's selling out. And after I was done, I said, Lord, I just want to go to a people that are hungry for you. I'll lay down my life. I don't care about the country, the conditions, the poisons, the food. I said, I'm in covenant with you. Put it in the heart of my family and we'll go change a nation. God, I want to go to the mission field. I'm crying it out. I said, I'll lay down my life for the hungry God. There's people that want to know you out there. And, and I wasn't even catching my language. And God said, so, you'll lay down your life for the hungry. I said, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was kneeling by my bed when I heard him say it. I knew I was getting fathered. And I, I said, yeah. I'm trying to run through my mind what I said and what I did. I'm just being honest. And he said, Dan, my son laid down his life for those who despised and rejected him. I want your heart in that place and we'll talk about this stuff. I began to weep and I knew he was trying to teach me and I knew I was being corrected, but I didn't have it yet and I was crying because I just knew he was fathering me and I was humbled by it, that he would dare just God, the universe, come in my bedroom and father me. <gasps> that sure beats what we grew up with. God is going to flick you like a flea. He's going to win a lightning bolt. <laughs> you know, people say something and go like this and it's just like a gesture, like we have this view of God. Here's what he said. He said, Dan, the only reason you feel so motivated to go to the mission field is because you're frustrated with the church you're pastoring. You don't believe they appreciate righteousness and my love for them. You feel like they're spoiled and they're Americans and you just want to go and your frustration is your motivation, not my calling or my spirit. He said, the desire is being birthed by what you're disappointed in. He said, and here's the problem. If I let you go, I'll still honor my word and I'll do things through your life. But every time I do things, it'll be at the cost of your own heart because you'll look over your shoulder at what you disdain and you'll judge it all the more and say, see, God couldn't do that with them. Once a stiff-necked self, he's prideful. Next thing you know, I'm a guy that's doing works in the Lord at the cost of my very own heart. And all of a sudden, I'm not even what I'm ministering. Isn't that intense? And he saved me from that, Roy. Because I was praying for that from a place of disappointment. God grew me out of that. See, you've got to tell these stories. God grew me out of that disappointment. I started realizing I don't ever want to be found in that place again because it brings false desires, false motivations. It screens me. And then the things I pursue come from wrong places. And all of a sudden, my letdown, my hurt, my disappointment, my unresolved conflicts become the motivation of my life and the reality of my emotions. And it's all hinged on deception and outside of love. I tell these stories because they changed me at a very young age in the Lord and taught me to never give myself to that place again. It screw me up into Him that way. So then when that thing happens in my family, man, am I ready. 
And you don't even look back and dread that. You don't even look back and say, boy, I thank God that's over. Because my family's doing wonderful. My wife is just such an awesome girl. She just believed a lie, guys. She wasn't evil. She wasn't contrary. She wasn't an enemy of the gospel. She wasn't demon-possessed. She believed one lie, and it tried to take advantage of her calling, her destiny, her beauty, and purpose in the Lord. And if I'm not big enough in the Lord to see that, I might even feed it in my attempt to change her. Yeah? I just showed Roy this note. She wrote this note and stuck it in my Bible a couple weeks ago. I keep saying I ain't going to read it after this week, but I keep reading it every week. You know why I read it? Not because it boasts on me, because it's my wife's view. It's not yours watching me on YouTube or seeing me once a year. It's my wife. That's important. If your wife wrote it, that's a big deal. Because your wife lives with you. The wife sleeps with you and wakes with you. The wife sees you 24-7. She ought to be the testimony of my life, huh? She's my wife. She said, hope you have the best weekend ever. You're a true man of God. I doubt God can find many men, if any, on this earth with your integrity, character, and good heart. You want that from your wife. Especially when she knows she didn't do well for a long time and she sees that it didn't have any power to change you. And all of a sudden she realizes it's the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. It's the love of God that changes lives. Not me having rights and needing her to shape up and do different. Call a counseling appointment with Roy and try to get him to straighten out my wife. I would hope, well, I know Roy, he'd say, well, let me ask you, Dan, what's that have anything to do with you? So how are you positioned to love her now and walk her through this season no matter what she believes? And are you willing to stand strong in this truth and not let her begin to decide who you are and stand strong in what you've become through Christ? Because she needs Jesus more than ever. Look at how she's, if she had a revelation, she wouldn't be in this place. She needs him, Dan, and he's in you. Why aren't you giving him to her? That's how I would hope he'd talk to me, and I know you would. Are you guys all right? You want that note, I'm telling you. About two months ago, she slipped one in my suitcase. I was at a house, and I was unpacking to preach, and it was right on top, handwritten. She said, I don't think I've been honoring and acknowledging your integrity and character, Dan. I want you to know I haven't not noticed it, and I, I, I don't rec- not recognize it, and I don't think I tell you enough. And she just started to tell me how she sees me and how honored she is to be my wife. And I'm like, gee, I was reading that thing because I don't wake up for that. I wasn't waiting for that note. I wasn't going, finally she recognizes me. <laughs> Because if I'm doing it to get noticed, it's zero. You serve and be a part of this church for recognition or to just feel like you're a part of something and you don't just do it because of love, you're setting yourself up to be hurt and view people different than you started out. And all of a sudden, you'll somehow think you were failed or somebody didn't acknowledge you or thank you or appreciate you, and then you have to question why you even did it. 
Did you do it for recognition or did you do it for the kingdom and love? Are you laying down your life or are you trying to find your life through what you're doing for the Lord? (laughs) Come on. So you're going the extra mile and everybody says, man, there ain't nobody like you. This church wouldn't even function without you. You're the best. I don't know, man, where you came from, but I'm glad God sent you here. Of all the churches God could have sent you to and you were here and we're so glad. And they're going... And now they're going the extra, extra, extra mile because they're feeding off the accolade and the esteem because they actually don't feel like they're worth that much. But when everybody tells them they're awesome, they need to hear it. So now they're serving. And now they look like the best servant on the planet, but they're running the biggest risk of their life. Because if you don't acknowledge them for what they're doing, now they're broken and you don't appreciate them. And everybody took advantage of me and I gave the extra, extra, extra mile. And now you leave that church because you weren't there because of love. That's just good preaching. Leadership appreciates that preaching because they see that heartbreaking scenario too much. You have no idea. I'm not, I'm not, Roy knows I wouldn't do this. We, we don't talk about this stuff. But you have no idea that a healthy leader has no need to be right in your life or set you straight. And a healthy leader won't tell you what you want to hear He'll tell you what he's convicted is the truth. And the truth is, most of the time, people say they're fine and they're really not because they didn't hear what they wanted. Happens all the time to pastors. That's why there's a lot of hurting pastors because they're not secure in Christ and in themselves and the Lord. And then they start seeing people are this and that and this, and then they let their heart get eh, towards people, but they're still pastoring. Now they get actually... Are you guys following me? Come on, if you sit down in my office and you ask me a question, I'm going to share my convictions with you. And I'm going to call you to it. And, hold, and if you're going to ask me and put me in my, get my heart involved. And then you're going to slide out and talk to three more people and ask what they think. And then you're going to settle into the one that you were hoping to hear. <laughs> I'll talk to you about all that stuff and make sure that if you're doing it, you can't do it without knowing it. <laughs> I care about you that much. I'll take that time. I am so sorry. I really am. I have fought the good fight. I've finished the race. Paul was in a race. Watch this. I have kept what? The faith. Is he talking about the faith you exercise when you pray for the sick? He's talking about a view on his life. He's talking about a, watch this real quick. Philippians chapter one. And then I'll quote a few and I'll close this thing out. Verse 27, Philippians 1. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come to see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs. Watch this. That you stand fast in... Watch this. This is amazing. One spirit. He's not talking about uniformity. He's talking about unity. All believe in the same thing in the sense of purpose and motivation. Who knows we could be doctrinally a little different in some things and still walk in one spirit and one mind. Who knows that we major sometimes on minors and we let it divide us when we can all wake up and pursue love in His image. And you might esteem one day different than the rest and you might esteem every day the same. You might have a different take on the baptism of the Holy Spirit and you might have a totally different take on something else. But who knows we can all wake up to pursue love and all wake up for His image. Yeah? 
One mind, one spirit. Now watch this. Striving together. This is a family thing. Striving together for the faith of the gospel. He is not talking about a tool that you take out of your God belt to get a prayer answered. The faith of the gospel is the perspective we all live by every day, and we're to stay one in that truth. And we're to never lose sight of why we woke up this morning, never lose sight of our reason for being. So that if you get in your home and you just take your spouse a little personal and you start letting them have it, that even in the middle of that, at some point, your heart gets captured and you're convicted and you go, wait a minute, wow, you're not my enemy, forgive me. And all of a sudden you start learning how to make peace instead of war. And all of a sudden you weep in sincerity and now you actually have reconciliation instead of unresolved conflict. And now when you're both in the church worshiping and raising your hands and singing, it's not about what God happened and, and, and hammered and never, and now your heart's resenting and look at him raising his hands and he's talking to me. If they heard how he talked to me, they wouldn't think he's so holy. Next thing you know, there's animosity and hurt. The more you go to church, the more it grows and breeds. It's like a cancer. It's like a little leaven, whole lump. Or, honor, integrity, you weep. Man, I want to grow. I want to learn. I don't ever want to talk to you like that again. I got my eyes on what you were saying and I judged it as wrong. And honey, God would never see me that way and I don't ever want to see you that way. Please, I'm just asking you to forgive me and know that I really don't see you that way. I took it personal. It skewed this and that. And, and you know, out of my heart came this. But man, did my heart get smote in that moment. And I want change. Keep praying for me. Please forgive me. I love you the best I understand, but I'm growing in Him. And next thing you know, you're in church worshiping or you're kneeling and crying and she looks down and now she's crying because she's like, man, is he going after God? And all of a sudden her heart's challenged. Am I mad at him and am I unforgiveness? Or do I appreciate that he's sincere and he's going after God and he's letting weakness be swallowed up by strength? Wow, God, thanks for what you're doing in my man. Who knows that's all healthy. <laughs> and it's so narrow what I'm preaching that anything else is a lie because <laughs> it produces nothing good. Be honest with me. How many things start out good and don't end up to be, or you fall in and out of love? Are you kidding me? Well, I just don't think I love you anymore. No, you're saying I don't need you anymore. You don't work for me. Wouldn't it be amazing if you came to God to get born again tonight and a voice came from heaven and said, ah, don't need you anymore. <laughs> nah, don't think I love you. I've been watching you mess around so much, saying one thing, doing another. You got my heart sore on the yo-yo. It's good I don't slumber because I'd have never slept anyway. I'm done with you, pal. Yeah. The faith of what? The gospel. You can look in your Bible and you can find these terms. Contending for the faith, established in the faith, the obedience to the faith. The devil roaming around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may. Resist him standing steadfast in. The weary thought about the lady pursuing the unjust judge, contrast parable. How God will avenge His people who will cry out day and night and don't grow weary. He says, when the Son of Man returns to the earth, will He really find? He's not talking about a tool. He's talking about an eye. Isn't that awesome? The just shall live by 
So let's contend for the faith. You read Philippians 3, it'll fire you up. It'll keep you on track and in purpose. You're attaining something. There's a prize. There's a goal. You're a sojourner. Hebrews 11, 1 Peter 1, you're a sojourner. You're passing through. You got a moment of time to write a legacy and to mark heaven forever. Bring glory to the Son of God. Or you could stand before Jesus and say, well, you know, I'd have believed in you if it wasn't for my spouse. You won't even be able to think that. So why would you let it work now? Come on. You say, well, I'd be in a better place if it wasn't for this, this, and this. Well, this, this, and this isn't Lord. So don't let it govern your life. He's the one that's Lord. He's the one that decides who you are. He's the supreme one. And I understand there's challenges. And I understand sometimes kids do some things that, man, you just didn't see coming. And sometimes your spouse is going through something and you wish it was different. But when you wish it's different, make sure it's not for your sake. Make sure it's because you know their life is so much more. And if you'll keep staying in that healthy, humble place, it'll cause you to live like Jesus like never before. Come on, guys, we can run well. We can live this way. And the number of faces I'm looking at in this small room it's packed out. It's good. This is, this is good. I'm not saying it's a small room in the sense of where this is an army. What I'm saying is the number of faces that I'm looking at in this room would make a difference walking and living this way. Right? Families, workplaces, comings and goings. And just don't go out and try to be evangelistic. You just be who you are and you bump into things. In your everyday life's where you're most effective. You know, you go into town, some people are like, well, I want to see you do your thing. Let's go take a walk in the mall. I'm like, you've got the whole wrong view. This isn't ministerial. It's not like, I want to go on outreach. Yeah, do tricks. <laughs> but you sit beside me on a plane, and I don't even know you, and you ask me how I'm doing, I'm going to take the time to tell you. And you know what's probably going to happen? After a while, I'm going to say things that you're freaked out I'm saying, and I'm going to know things I shouldn't know. Why? Because I ain't showing off to nobody. I have no need in my life to impress you. I'm impressed with the gospel. Next thing you know, they're trembling and weeping, and it's happened so many times you can't recall. And you start talking, and they're shaking, and they're like, and all of a sudden they're experiencing a living Jesus because he's living in you. That sure beats just evangelism school. It's just sincere. If you're caught up on your flight, your time, your connection, you probably don't really know they're sitting there. If you're just busy hooking up and you're phoning it, you might not hear nothing. If they ask you how you're doing, you say, hey, I'm fine. You ask me how I'm doing. That's a pool court doll right there. <laughs> how are you doing? I just went through security. They said, how are you doing today, sir? I said, man, I'm doing amazing. Life is so good in God. And he's just like, oh, really? Yeah. A couple weeks before, I told this guy I was doing amazing. He said, well, that ain't a common answer. And it's so cool because it's such you say, you know why it's not a common answer? Because people are only as good as life is going. Man, I'm as good as Jesus is inside of me. He's changed my whole perspective, my view of you, my view of everything. He's given me a whole new life, sir. How couldn't life be amazing in him? 
I didn't wake up for me. I woke up for him, his love, his kingdom, and you. He's like, oh, okay. And you're just passing through. You're throwing your, you're going through, you know. <laughs> and you're going around, but he's thinking about that. He can't help but to see. I left the church. I saw a man that had so much metal in his back and was so twisted up, watched him touch his toes, saw his, he's a pastor, saw his wife crying so hard because for 40 years he's never put his fingers past his knee. He had a congenital birth defect in his hips. So when he was born, he couldn't bend. So 40 years old, could never bend. Then he had three separate fusions, six discs or vertebrae. Bam, bam, bam. This man's aboard. Two unassuming men, just non-assuming, not superstar. Chris was teasing me this weekend really bad. <laughs> having fun with me. Friends do that. It was all clean and good. And I was like, oh, Roy, that sounds terrible. <laughs> Patty was giggling. You were. <laughs> These two guys prayed this little 10-second prayer. And he goes down and touches the floor for the first time in his entire life. And he has three medical fusions and a congenital birth defect. And he's touching the floor. Can't explain it. Jesus. He's bawling. He don't come up. He's just down there bawling. She's bawling. You see that stuff. You go through the airport. You come through security. You turn the corner. they got a guy in the little roped off section. And they're frisking him. He's in a body cast. And he's just like this. And, and when I look at him, I go, oh, why? Because you see this stuff in your life. You, you, you put yourself in the position. If you're afraid it won't happen, you'll never put yourself there. You put yourself there. It's not about it not happening. It's about you loving and caring. It's not about wonder if it doesn't happen. It'll never happen if you keep wondering. Come on. The number one reason Christians don't pray for the sick in their own personal life is they're afraid nothing will happen and they already got what they're afraid of because they didn't pray. And there's also a little side of that making it about you, feelings. And we justify and say, well, I don't want to misrepresent the gospel. How can love misrepresent the gospel? Just caring, taking interest, going out of your way. That freaks out people when there's no string attached. Now, if you have to give them your business card and your ministry name card and try to take an offering there at the line. <laughs> you probably blow it. They'll probably say, ah, I knew it. You know, sometimes we get these bright ideas in the church, you know. Hey, they're all going to sit out the cars and watch the cars go down the road at the hot rod show and it's hot, it's 85, they're going to be hot. Let's just go give them water, man, and then maybe we can access their heart and preach the gospel. When do you just give them water? Because they're thirsty. Like, they see that as a marketing tool. The water is access to them. I go through the airport, I turn, and there's the guy. He's in a body cast. I said, my heart, out loud. I know I did it out loud. I went, oh, because it hurt me. I saw that. And I'm just coming from watching this guy, and I went right over. And the TSA guys, man, they were like, restricted area, sir, stay back. I said, I'm not coming through. I said, sir, I just interrupted everything. Passion, eyes just flooded with tears in a heartbeat. Who's going to, who can argue with that? That humbles the hardest of people. Because you can't conjure those kind of tears, and everybody knows that. 
It's genuine care. They're not saying, what a fruitcake, what a flake, what an emotional... They're TSA guys, authority. (laughs) I promise you, I'm not putting on a show. Saw that man and it grabbed my heart because it grabbed his heart. And he's in me. And I said, sir... I can see you were through something very physically traumatic. I don't know your story, but I'm telling you this. I just watched the Lord heal and restore and do miracles in front of my eyes this weekend. How can I walk by you if that's true? And nobody said a word. And I said, I'm just going to stand right here, guys. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you. And I prayed my faith over him. And he's just standing there. And I said, amen. I said, God bless you, buddy. I'm believing those things shall all come to pass. He said, thank you. I turned the corner. I got around the corner. And somebody grabs the back of my arm. I look, it's the TSA agent. He got me by the back of the arm. I said, well, here we are. He just got me, man. I turned around and I said, yes, sir. And he's staring at me. And I look and he's got tears in his eyes. And he said, sir, what you did was just amazing. That was so sincere and so powerful. He said, I agree. I'm a Christian. I, man, what you did was powerful. Thank you. For, I said, are you kidding me? It wasn't anything I had to try to do. It was it's who I've become. It's who he is. It's, it's, we hugged. <laughs> yeah, you, you, it's, it's, like, it's like a story. It's like a movie. I'm not kidding. You turn the corner, you grab a bottle of water, and the lady says, I said, started talking to her. She said, wow, you're the man of God. I said, what do you mean? She said, that's the voice I just heard around the corner. You were the man praying around that corner. That was really powerful. She started telling me about something, about some deliverance thing, and I let me pray for you. Next thing, something happened, and then this man come up. He said, I'm okay, I'm good, I'm good. <laughs> it was just funny. Same day that I walked down, prayed for a lady that had rheumatoid stuff. She looked like the Tin Man on the Wizard of Oz. And I actually watched God restore her body. You say, well, Dan, I'm afraid it won't happen. Maybe it won't happen just like that. Why don't you step out and love somebody? Why don't you just step out and give somebody love in Jesus? Not everybody I've touched by far. Not everybody I've touched has jumped up and said, Hallelujah, praise the Lord. But I'll tell you what, I promise you this, the more you touch, the more you'll see. And the more people we pray for, the more things we'll be telling. And some of them say, nope, it's the same. And you look at them and smile and say, I understand that, but God said, if I lay hands on the sick, they'll recover. Thanks for letting me into your personal space. Thanks for receiving prayer. Man, I'm excited for you. Have a good day. Check out your body. When it changes, you'll know what's up. And you just walk away smiling. Why is that so hard? Why do we walk away and go, boy, I wonder what's wrong. I wonder what I'm missing. I wonder why I have no anointing. Or they say, well, it feels a little better, a little better. Now that's a slap. They wonder why I got a little quarter anointing. <laughs> so then you unplug faith and leave it where it's at and get discouraged and you don't pray for nobody else. Wrong thinking. It almost always stems back to wrong believing and wrong thinking. I'm I'm way late. I'm sorry. I am. I'm I, I'm just going. I was going to man. I was going to do something tonight. We're not going to do it right now though. Ah, can you catch this? Let's throw it down there so I don't open it back up. It's all right. It's so in my heart. I can still preach. You know that.
I could still pull out a big gun. <laughs> pull out two. <laughs> you really want to fill your heart with the Word because if you don't fill your heart with truth, you'll never recognize lies. And the more you read your Bible, the more you'll see clear. The weapon of your warfare isn't shouting at the devil. It's casting down every thought and imagination that rises above truth with the truth. Obedience to Christ, right? Things that judge and accuse and scheme. That thing that goes on in our minds, man, you want to catch that and see it for what it is or isn't and align it to truth. Amen? Amen. 